As we start this morning, I'm, I'm excited to say that the Lord has kind of led me to do a series on Noah because I don't know about you, but I've seen it on TV and I've seen some of the previews. The, mo- the Noah movie is coming out. Are you excited about it? I am. I mean, you know, when Hollywood does their best to, to bring the Bible to life and something like that, I'm excited to see that. Now, I'm not going to go there to make sure everything is scripturally accurate because I know any time that something is not necessarily inspired by God, there is going to be errors. But unlike the Bible that has no error in it, I wanted us to, uh, to focus on Noah and know what the truth is because I think uh, we need Noahs nowadays. We need someone because we do live in a world that has gotten lost. And by studying Noah, maybe we can find some traits that we can use in our life as well. So as we begin, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've given us another opportunity to listen to your word. May you touch hearts, and if anything that I say that is not of you will be forgotten, and your word will remain, Lord, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit. Uh, There was a movie, it came out even before I was born, but luckily back in the days when I was growing up, we didn't have 100, 200, or 300 channels. We had, if we were lucky... Three channels, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And the remote control, I was the remote control. Son, get up and change the channel. Or honey, if you're walking by, change the channel. And then, I mean, you had like PBS where you could get Sesame Street, but that was about all you had, right? But but the good thing about that is that since you didn't have hundreds of channels, uh, you had it was much easier to decide what you were going to watch because you really didn't have that much choice. And during those days, there was a movie that came on, and I still remember it to this day, and it was called, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. This movie was released in 1963. Yes, I was not even born or even thought of at that moment. But I can remember seeing it on the television and uh, it was just, it was a great movie, and uh, it's now available, I'm sure, in DVD and CD and everything else that you need to, to see that, but it's, it's a mad, 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 mad world was one of the first ever what they call chase comedies, meaning that uh, in 1963, movie producers hired the best comedians of their day to compete in a race for a cash prize I've hold on to your uh, your pew belts here. $350,000. You're like, wow, that's not all that much. Back then it was, was it not? I mean, that would have been like millions today. But they were, they were competing for $350,000. And some of the actors, you may know them or their names. Some of you may not, but I'll read some of them anyway. Some of the actors featured were... Eddie, Eddie Adams, Milton Berle, Sid Caesar, Buddy Hackett, Ethel Merman, Mickey Rooney, Phil Silver, Silvers, Terry Thomas, Jimmy Durante, Peter Falk, who played Columbo, by the way, and then the ever-funny Jonathan Winters. Now, if you were my age, probably you don't recognize those. Certainly, if you're younger than me, you don't. But these were... These were people that were funny before you had to be dirty to be funny. And these were people that could make you laugh and forget about 
your troubles for a little bit. So this producer, this was the first time that it had been done. They thought, I'm going to get all of the comedians that are popular today, put them in a movie, and we're going to have this thing called It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Well, for the younger folks in here, uh, you have this movie to be thankful for movies like, if you remember Cannonball Run, that was the same type of movie. Even The Fast and the Furious, uh, those kind of movies were kind of spawned from this original. But the, they only had one rule. Do you remember what the one rule was? Do whatever you can to get the money. That was the only rule. Do whatever you can to get the money. And the reason the movie did so well was not only because it had the top-rate talent of that time in the movie, but that rule, that one rule to do whatever it takes to get the money, I believe that that rule attached itself to our DNA. That rule of do whatever you need to do to get the money. To thine own self be true. Don't be last, be first. Be true to yourself. Because that motive attaches to our sinful nature. That sinful nature of I want what I want when I want it. Now, this type of mentality is dangerous because it sets you apart from everybody else. And you end up benefiting yourself by taking advantage of others. If there is ever a picture of Noah's day, this is it. Noah lived in a mad, 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 mad world. Things had gone awry. From the moment Adam and Eve fell, the whole world turned into a spiral. And there was no regard for God. We see that that results of their sin resulted in Cain and Abel, their first two first two born, where Cain killed his brother Abel. And we see that sin spawning birth after birth after birth. And we see that the world went out of control. Folks, I don't know about you, but you know, I don't need to get on a rant here because we all have our own um, things that we see in the world, but we live in a crazy world. We are no longer one nation under God. I mean, I am grateful that we still have the opportunity to gather on Sunday mornings and pray and to worship and to do what the Lord has called us to do. But the, the fact that we call ourselves a Christian nation, those days have gone by. We live in a world that they, they seek to to not only disprove, but also almost into a, a militant type of aggression to, to make sure that God is taken out of everything, taken out of our schools, taken out of our government, taken out of our families, and eventually taken out of our churches. I mean, the, our streets run with the blood of aborted babies, and we just watch it go on and on and on. We see the smut on television and we see uh, women and boys and men being sold into human trafficking. And we sit by and we do nothing. We, we sit here in churches and we stand on our premises 
and read the book of opinions while the world is going to hell in a handbasket. It is a mad, mad, mad world. But don't worry, it was like that before. And we see here that God had a plan for that. But my two questions for you as we, as we dive into Noah, we're going to talk about to Noah today. We had not even gotten to the ark yet, okay? So that's coming. We know that that's going to be in the future. It's kind of funny. Um, somebody was telling me uh, this morning that, you know, I had preached on earthquakes a couple of weeks ago, and then we had that little earthquake soon after that. So now that I'm preaching about a flood, watch out, okay? <laughs> Go get your sandbags, all right? But, but no, uh, I, I don't have a, a direct line with God. But the questions I want us to ask and frame up the sermon with today are, does God ever get fed up with our sins? Yes, God is a forgiving God. Amen? God is a loving God. God is full of grace. But God is also a judge. And he is also a God of wrath. And who's to say that when he does judge us and we do feel his wrath, is that not love as well? Man, I used to have friends when I was in middle school and high school. Their parents would let them do anything they wanted. And I thought, man, that was so cool. Bought them a, bought them a car. Let them go to whatever houses they want. Bought them alcohol. Was their best friend. Went to go out and party with them. And they would end up in a bad shape. Because the parents let them do whatever they wanted to do. My friend, if God corrects you, and God corrects me, and he judges us, and we experience his discipline, the Bible says the reason he disciplines you and me is because why? He loves us. Those he loves, he disciplines. Well, the question is, does God ever get fed up with our sins? We are going to see here in this passage, absolutely he does. And the second thing is, what difference can one righteous person really make? You're sitting in that pew right now thinking, ah, here you go, preacher, lay it on us. I'm asking you, If one person in this auditorium this morning decided, I am going to be the righteous person that God is going to notice. I am going to be the one that God uses. If you were to decide to do that, what do you think would happen to your life? What do you think would happen in your family? What do you think would happen in this church? If one person just said, you know what? I hear what the preacher is saying, and I hear what the word is saying, and I am going to do whatever you say you want me to do, God. What if somebody would do that? Well, let's read verses 1 through 5 of chapter 6. We see that the first thing is that we live in a mad, evil world. We live in an evil world. The Bible says that Satan is basically the prince of this world. He, he has control. He has reign on this world only to the point that God allows it. Much like a dog that is on a chain. He can run and he can bark until the chain stops. God has got his hand on the devil. And we know that when we have times of tribulation, 
God is going to let go of the leash. And it's going to be bad news. But we see in Noah's day, they were living in a mad, mad world. Verses 1 through 5 of chapter 6 says, When mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were beautiful, and they took any they chose as wise for themselves. And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever, because they are corrupt Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth both in the days and afterwards when the sons of God came to the daughters of man who bore children to them. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men. When the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every scheme in his mind thought of nothing but evil, All of the time. When the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every scheme was mind, uh, his mind thought nothing but evil all of the time. We see here that when God looks at us and he sees our world, he sees that there is nothing but evil all of the time. Luckily, in our day, we have churches like Homeland Park Baptist Church that are meeting on Sundays and Wednesdays and doing things throughout the week to share the gospel. Not, not everything is lost. I mean, God still has people and churches, you. He still has you. But in Noah's day, that was gone. It says here that basically the, the men were marrying whoever they want. In other words, there was a lot of you-know-what going on. And there, there was no... Um, of, there was no rules. There was no uh, discernment. It was just, it was hedonism at, at its core. It was, you know, there were no rules. There was no restraint. People had forgotten God. But what we see here is that God was preparing for Noah before Noah was even born. If you go back and you read a little earlier, Noah's great-grandfather was Enoch. His great-great-grandfather was Adam. Noah's great-grandfather was Enoch. And if you remember, Enoch lived 365 years. Folks, can you imagine living 365 years? Man, Social Security would be bankrupt already if, if people live that long. I think they probably would have death panels if they, if they had that. But um, he was walking in close fellowship with God. And then one day, oof, he just disappeared. God took him. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? Not have to go through the portal of death. God just say, hey, you, come on. You don't have to go through that line. Just come on. He and Elijah were the only ones that, that had that opportunity where God said, you don't have to die, just come and welcome me. That is the kind of righteousness Noah had in his family. That is the kind of righteousness that was passed down to him. And Enoch, as I said, was one of the only two to experience no death. But, you know, you think about it, they lived that long. Why do you think people lived that long in the Old Testament? Before the flood, I mean, what, how in the world could they live that long? Well, some people say that uh, genetically the human race 
was much purer back then. So you didn't have the, the hereditary diseases. You didn't have the DNA genetics that, that really, you know, I don't understand a whole lot of that. But basically, genetically, the people were much purer back then. Also, rain had not fallen on the earth yet. You've probably heard this before, but it <clears throat> blows my mind. God told Noah to build an ark, and it had never rained. <laughs> that makes no sense. That makes no sense at all. But then again, when has God ever made sense? And so people live longer because the genetic pool was much purer. Also, it had never rained. There was, the Bible says, there was a firmament between the heavens and the skies that protected the earth. Basically, you know, now we call it the ozone layer that protects us from the UV rays. But uh, the Bible says in Genesis that there was a firmament that, that protected the earth, that kept a lot of the harmful things from our atmosphere away from us. And so also... God gave people longer lives so that they could fill the earth. So they could have time to do what they needed to do. But God was allowing for the stage to be set before Noah, before Noah even realized it. And we see here that there are a few factors that led to the evil of mankind. There were a few factors. We see here first that there was the family influence. Yes, we know that Enoch was his great-grandfather. But we also know that the other side of the family, Cain, his evil ancestors, a lot of scholars believe that when it says the sons of God were marrying other women, a lot of people believe that that is Cain's descendants. Remember, Cain was the evil one, that evil in his family, that evil, his desire to kill, his desire to hurt was raising up a generation after generation after generation of people that were evil. Parents, grandparents, I'm going to tell you, if you do not teach children godly values, they're going to learn the wrong ones. There is a call here for parents to teach the children in the way that they should go. Because Cain's family, I mean, we have, we have kids now that are raised with two mommies or two daddies. Or you have kids that are raised in a house that says, we do not believe in God. I mean, those families and those people have a right to do whatever they want to do with that. But when we are not raising children in a godly environment, we see that the sin gets worse. Because I'll tell you what, that, that kid that grows up without any kind of moral compass becomes our politician, becomes our doctor, becomes our professor. And they don't have the skills nor the morality to be able to lead in those ways. Also, when it says sons of God, some folks believe that the angels actually came down and uh, impregnated the women back then, but the problem with that is is that Jesus says in Matthew and Mark that the angels would not marry and the angels would not have children. But we see that there was a family influence. Noah had Enoch. The evil folks had Cain's descendants as their 
influence. The second thing we see is people found strength in themselves. If you notice, it says in verse 4 that they had heroes and famous warriors. They had what they call the Nephilim. Those were warriors that were sometimes 9 to 10 feet tall. They would have made a great center for a basketball team, would they not? But they were looking at these men as heroes. And, and if we're not careful, we can do the same thing to where we think if just the right president would get into office, the world would be in a better place. If just the right preacher would be the pastor of our church, things would go. If just the right person in our family would get right with the Lord, everything would be okay. If just that one person would do this. And folks, it's not about the one person. It's, a, it's not about what we can do. We have to vote. We have a, a obligation as citizens to vote. But God is going to put in that office who he wants in that office. Regardless of what the electoral college says or not. Sometimes the leaders that God puts into place are to bless us. And at other times, it's to judge us. But people found strength in themselves alone. They had no need for God. And then also, people's thoughts were totally evil. God had given them over to their depraved mind. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The human heart is most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? What it's saying here is that if you were to be honest with yourself and myself, bottom line, our heart is evil. We have a default to do bad things. But that is why when Jesus Christ comes into our life and he takes up residence in our heart, he changes that. He changes our heart. Those that do not have Jesus Christ in their life do not understand that. Let's look at verses 6 through 7. We see that God will not tolerate sin forever. God will not tolerate sin forever. This is probably, in my opinion, one of the saddest verses ever recorded in the Bible. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. I have seen parents whose hearts were broken because of the wrong actions of their children. It doesn't mean that they don't love them. But their heart was broken. God says here, it would have been better off if I hadn't even created them. In verse 7 it says, Then the Lord said, I will wipe off from the face of the earth mankind whom I created, together with the animals, the creatures that crawl, and the birds of the sky, for I regret I made them. I can just imagine now you know, him having all of creation on a big chalkboard or a big whiteboard. You know, it has has everything on there, and in his rage, he just goes, and he, ta- he wants to take an eraser and just erase everything. Kind of like, you ever had a virus on your computer? Man, I hate those things. You know, you click something, you've done something, all of a sudden your computer's not what it used to be. And what do they always tell you to do? Well, we're going to have to take everything off of it and start from scratch again. There was a virus in the world. It was called sin. And God said, I've had enough of it. And we see here, I want you to understand, God did not make a mistake. He's not saying, whoo, I really messed up when I made Adam and Eve. He was hurt. He was hurt because his creation 
that he created to worship him and to have a relationship with him had rejected him. God was not saying he made a mistake. His heart was breaking as any father's heart would. And I want you to understand something. If we were to apply this to our lives, hear me out, please. Our sin still today, our sin breaks God's heart. Your sin breaks God's heart. When we sin, it is like us spitting in the blood of Jesus saying, it's not enough. That I know better. I don't need you, God. I know better. That's what the world, Noah, was living in. But every God, I mean, even God, has his limits. I can remember, uh, I've spent my fair share in the ocean. You know, you ever been in the ocean before? Okay, well, and it's amazing. You can jump in the ocean, and uh, this is crazy. You'll, you'll go in there. And then you'll be playing or having fun in the ocean or be worried something's going to bite your leg or something like that, looking for a shark, make sure there's no one around. And before you know it, 10 or 15 minutes later, you're like a mile down the beach. You're like, man, I need my towel, but my towel is like way up there. What happens? The current carries you away, right? But then there's also something called a rip current. You know what a rip current is? Where it doesn't take you down the beach, it takes you away from the beach. And if you've ever been caught in one before, what is the temptation? The temptation is to, well, it's pulling me out. I need to swim back to the shore. And when people do that, they drown. Because you cannot beat a rip current. What they teach you is is that if you get into a rip current, and if you go to the beach, this might save your life, so there you go. So if you get caught into a rip current where it's pulling you out, and you can't get back in... Hopefully there's a lifeguard that's going to notice that and come out and get you. But if there is not, the trick is not to swim against the current, but to swim to the left or to the right of it. Because eventually you'll swim out of it. What's my point? Sin is that rip current. And it will pull you and pull you away from the love of the Father, until finally the Father will say, Enough! I've had enough. There is a line. There is a line, my friend. And no one knows exactly where it is, but you and I will know when we get there. There is a line when we have sin in our lives that is unrepented, unconfessed, and unwilling to give up. There is a point where God, there is a line that God is going to draw and say, This is enough. And that's where he was with the folks in Noah's day. Romans 1, 24 through 25 say this. Therefore God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped And served something created instead of the creator. Folks, that is what today our community, our culture is doing. We are trading the truth of God for a lie. God's convictions and God's word are becoming secondary to political correctness. 
We worship created things rather than the Creator who is praised forever. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. We see in the Bible where God had hardened people's hearts. And I've seen it in the lives of teenagers. I've seen it in the lives of adults to where they push and they push and and they know they're not supposed to be in this relationship or they know they're not supposed to be doing this. They know they're not supposed to be doing that. And they push and they push and they push until finally God says, okay, big boy, you have it. And when you're ready to come back, I'll be here. Folks, we have sin in our lives. We have to deal with it because God, there will come a point where he says, I'm not giving you my protection. You're going to have to learn the hard way. And that's because I love you. And when you learn, I'll be here to pick you up. Then also we see in verse 8, verse 8, we see that we can find favor with God where it says, Noah, however, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, however, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I want you to understand the word favor is also translated into the word grace. Noah found grace with God. And I know your stomach's rumbling and you're ready to go get that pot roast or whatever you've got going on or or go see your favorite waiter or waitress. I understand you got that going on. But hang with me just for five minutes because I pray that you get what the truth is here, is that we see that Noah found favor, found grace with God. It doesn't say that Noah was perfect, but it says that Noah found favor with God. If we find favor with God, that means that we are acceptable to God. Adrian Rogers said, you are saved by grace and grace alone. And faith takes hold of that grace. There is nothing you did to, or can do to earn salvation. It is God's grace. Why did God choose Noah? Because of his grace. And we know as we study the Bible, it will come up later in, in this series, that the reason God was pro- providing for Noah is because we see even then in Genesis God is making provisions for his son, Jesus Christ, to come onto this world and to live and to die for your sins. We see even here, right in Noah's time. Grace is the one thing, and you can take this to the bank. Grace, God's grace, is the one thing that sets Christianity above everything else. No other religion, no other cult has grace. Everything else has works. You have to do something to earn a God's favor. But here, you don't have to do anything. You just have to accept it. And our lack of understanding is not an excuse for rejecting God. Like I said, God is about to ask Noah to build a boat for a place that has never rained before. We cannot understand God. God needed a man of faith to carry out what he was about to ask him to do, to build an ark. And as I come to the close, let me ask you this. What is God 
asking you to do? Does it make no sense at all? Does, does it seem like there is no way? God, you've you got to be crazy to ask me to do this because I haven't seen any signs. God asked him to build an ark. What is your ark today, Christian? What is God calling you today that you're unsure of? We also see that it was incomprehensible and that God had plans for Noah that Noah didn't even know about. If God is asking you to do something, he's not wanting your understanding. He's not wanting my understanding. He's wanting what? Our obedience. What we see here is that his plans for Noah was to save the world not once, but twice. Because we see time after time in the Old Testament when God would destroy an entire civilization, when he would destroy an entire city, there would always be that one remnant, that one chance for hope, that one person that could carry on. If you're listening to this message today, And are concerned that you have crossed that line. And that God has said, you you have at it. It's yours. You want the plane, you fly it. If you've been at that point, or if you're worried about that point. If you're worried you're too close to that line, you probably haven't crossed it yet. Because God is still working on your lives. But just know that God is working. Now, if you have... Come close to that line. Or if you have crossed that line, how do you get back? Romans 10, 9 and 10 say this. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord. We live in a mad, mad, mad world. Your life can make a difference. And I will spend the rest of my days preaching, begging, pleading, and modeling for our folks to see that it's not about our church attendance. It's not about what accolades and titles we have. It's about what we do with Jesus. And there is someone in here, I don't know who it is, but there is someone that God is telling them to do something, and that is going to be the spark that sets this place on fire. I don't know what it is. And I don't know who it is. But it may just be you. God loves you and has a plan for your life. So much so that he wants to save you, just like he's going to do through Noah and the ark. Through his son dying on the cross for our sins. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ, as your Savior and Lord. If you have crossed that line, God wants you to return to Him. You don't have to do anything to clean up. You just come and you pray and you ask Him into your heart. You will be saved. And Christian, you might be that one person that He's calling to. Pray for God to give you discernment and also the power to step out. If you'd like to join the church or come to the altar for prayer or to to be saved, Come forward at this time. Would you please stand?